Hey, hey, welcome to episode seven of the developer experience. I'm here with my buddy, Jeff Wycombe, and we're going to be talking a little DevOps today. uh, You're the first DevOps person I've had on, so that's pretty exciting. Expanding our repertoire at the developer experience. Uh, We're live here in Leaf Group Studios in sunny Santa Monica, California. It's been hot lately. Uh, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you and just let you give a little intro about yourself. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm Jeff. I, uh, I do DevOps currently. Um, although that's kind of a recent thing, like I was doing like systems before that, yeah. and before that, like, um, like knock support. And then before that desktop stuff, nice. it's just kind of interesting how it kind of progresses. Yeah. But, yeah, like um, it's definitely a really exciting uh, industry to work in right now mm-hmm. because, you know, like every time you go to a different company, they always have like a different setup and they always yeah. have different challenges. And so it's never boring. It's always, you know, very interesting. Absolutely. Can I get you to get a Sorry. little close? Here, we sure. can get the mic closer to you. Okay. It's just, it's like a game of like how close can you get to the mic and still be comfortable? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I kind of had a similar path, but I ended up in the developer land instead of DevOps. Like I started as a PC tech Mm -hmm. and then moved my way up to knock and then realized that was the worst thing I've ever done in my life and so boring like yeah so much mindless monitoring like you're just like checking graphs okay still looks good still looks good still look yeah you know, you know what we used to do what? we used to watch lost like, we just watched like entire seasons of lost at night just you know like making sure I was anything paging okay, yeah still cool <laughs> that's the thing is like they don't care what you do as long as nothing's yeah. blowing up like you can just chill and do whatever you want and so i like would go and i would i was like learning like ruby and stuff at the time yeah yeah no like i was learning you know like the ins and outs of like the the system stuff you know like linux and just kind of how it works and you know like uh the cool thing was like um the systems team at the place i was working at, i was working at shopzilla yeah. like they were willing to give tasks to the knock people oh, wow. so that they could kind of like groom them as like junior sysadmins right wow. so like you know they would say like okay we need a few host um you know provisions so you know like uh we had like config engine and puppet uh and uh you know they'd just be like okay this is kind of how it works just try to you know spin up these servers and make sure that they you know are working and you know make sure that um you know like these things work on it right yeah so yeah that was kind of actually how i got my um you know like systems chops was just you know like the they were willing to to give us work like that and see you know like uh, who you know? Who could pick it up? Who was talented mm-hmm. at it, and that sort of thing. That's really cool because I feel like the biggest thing in having a job is being at a company that's willing to put effort into growing employees. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how else are you supposed to become a DevOps engineer? How else are you supposed to become like a good developer or transition from front end to back end? Yeah. Unless you have like an employer who's going to help you or at least give you the opportunity to help yourself, right? Yeah. How do you how do you look for that when you look for a job? I mean, it's like, kind of hard, right? It's almost impossible. Yeah, it's a culture thing, 
right? Yeah. Like there's some companies that really understand that they need to grow their employees, you know, like like even the, the ones that it kind of seems like there's not enough growth in the company, they have to grow them some way to keep them happy, just yeah. to keep them there, Yeah. right? So, yeah, I mean, like from the interview process, it's kind of hard to gauge that, yeah. right? Because sometimes they'll tell you like, yeah, you know, like like we do support going to conferences mm-hmm. or we do support, you know, like, like getting certifications or whatever. But yeah. then it'll turn out that like the time <laughs> never comes up or, you know, like the funding is so small yeah. that it's like, oh, I might as well just pay for this myself. Absolutely. You know? But yeah, it's it's definitely something companies need to do. But yeah, like finding out at the beginning can be a little difficult. Yeah, I feel like it's almost impossible because I've had companies where they like they tell me, oh, yeah, there's lots of opportunity. You know, we're going to really try and help you grow. And then you get there and you're like, well, shit, there's nothing I can do here. Like, I, I don't have any capacity to do other work to try and grow or the work I am doing is pretty repetitive and I'm not really able to like create new systems or something like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of where the community comes in, Yeah, right? Like reaching out to like, you know, DevOps and developer events mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, building friends, you know, yeah. in like these other places, you can kind of get insight into those companies without having to go to the company. Yeah. You're just talking to this guy that you met at this thing and, you know, like you guys were kind of chatting, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot more informal and so they're a lot more likely to, you know, to actually tell you what's going on there. Yeah. I feel like as you grow and you've been in the industry longer and longer that's how you want to find your jobs it's not because like oh i don't want to apply online or you know i don't want to just shoot my resume into the you know into the random hole who knows what's going to show up it's more like i don't want to apply for this job go through the whole process accept an offer and then get there and realize this was a mistake, a huge mistake. I should have never come here because that's a costly mistake. You know what I mean? Like now, how long do you wait before you, you know, start looking for another job? Like, Yeah, no, like there's this little window where like if you've only been there for like a month or two and then you decide to look elsewhere – Nobody thinks too much of yeah. it. Like, they'll ask you about it, but it's okay. But, yeah. you know, there's, like, this, you know, six months to, like, a year. If you're in that window, then, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Like, interviewers always look at that more like, oh, well, why are you bailing? Yeah. You know, especially if it's, like, two places in a row. They're like, oh, you know, like, is this guy going to jump on us? Yeah. Like, you know, is he, is he just going to come in and then bail, you yeah. know? So, yeah, it it is – Yeah, if you are unfortunate enough to get into a position like that, it does, yeah, it kind of sucks. So I'd like to learn a little bit more about how you got into DevOps because I think I know a lot of developers who like are really interested in DevOps Mm -hmm. and uh, I know a couple who either they're trying to do like AWS has a bunch of certifications and stuff now. Yeah. Um, So they're trying to do kind of that route while they're like, you know, a front end developer or something or... They're just trying to build out their own applications and kind of like fake scale and, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. play like they're they're doing the DevOps. How how did you get from, you know, like a uh, knock engineer to, you know, a, a full fledged DevOps guy? Yeah. OK. Well, I talked about um, that systems, yeah. team, you know, and that definitely helped me get into that. Right. But nowadays, like DevOps is so much more than just, you know, like systems and provisioning servers. There's like, 
you know, a million different services on AWS that you have to know, you know, like how to configure and, you know, how to maintain and how to troubleshoot that. Yeah, it's definitely a huge body of knowledge. Yeah. And so I guess the, um, the thing that's kind of really helped me is just this, like, like this enjoyment of figuring out what's going wrong. Yeah. Like, cause you know, like, uh, I've always liked to investigate, you know, I've mm -hmm. always liked to find out exactly what's happening, you know, so I can understand the problem and, you know, like fix it. Uh, yeah. One of the things that was so frustrating when I was doing like um, technical support for desktops is that a lot of times in Windows, you couldn't figure out. Yeah. what was going wrong like like people joke about it like you know like you have to reboot a few times but it really would fix issues and yeah. it was so weird yeah right but yeah like when i started getting into linux and i started getting into you know like the the those systems with like you know really good troubleshooting tools you know like s trace and d trace and you know like like just being able to actually gather enough information to find out what's really going on yeah. and to fix it in like a, you know, kind of constructive, iterative fashion. It's just, you know, like that was so satisfying to me, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, like nowadays with the cloud, it, you know, some things have been taken out of your hands, right? Like sometimes we'll have like weird network issues that, you know, we can't troubleshoot yeah. directly. We can just monitor them. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, like, for the most part, like, you know, you have uh, control over everything and you can kind of, you know, as long as you're gathering all of your proper metrics from all of your apps, then you have this view that you can build and analyze and, you know, like, even not just, you know, like, services being down, mm -hmm. but, like, um, issues that creep up over time, you know, with, like, increasing user load or, you know, in increasing, like, you know, disk I.O. contention or whatever, like, you can see that stuff coming mm -hmm. and that's, you know, like that's a, a way better, um, world to live in, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, for people who want to get into DevOps, w would you recommend like certifications or what, what would you recommend? So, yeah, like, so one thing that, that you, because you can't force yourself to do it. Yeah. You have to be interested in the the level of detail that you have to know. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, like sports, right? Like, there's some people, they can just, you know, get, like, this head full of figures and, and numbers and stats on the players, and they can just pull that stuff up. And, you know, it's because it's interesting to them from the first place. Yeah. Right? Like, they were interested enough in it that they, uh, you know, just learned everything they could, and it was great. Right. Like so DevOps is kind of the same thing where there's a bunch of different, you know, little buckets that you have to learn stuff about in order to have like a working knowledge to do it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like the first thing you want to have is that interest. Right. Like, you you, you know, like when you do those certifications, um, it, it doesn't feel like it feels like you're taking a test, not, you know, like actually building a body of yeah. knowledge. Right. Like it feels very, you know, like memorizing and, you know, it's like kind of dead. Mm hmm. So I would say that, you know, like while you can do those certifications and you do learn stuff, once you learn that stuff, you need to use it. Yeah. You need to, you know, spin up your own, you know, little AWS account with your free services, you know, and experiment with it. Yeah. You know, uh, build different things, you know. And I mean, you don't have to do just DevOps tasks. I mean, you're a developer. You, you know, build whatever you want in yeah. there and just get it to work and connect it together. And just doing that will, you know, teach you 
you know, as much as you want to know. Absolutely. It's kind of with everything, right? It's like you just kind of have to go out and do it. It, Yeah. I feel like this is harder, though, because you have to, like, first you got to write, like, an application, (laughs) and then then you got to deploy it to AWS. Then you, like, configure the microservices around it, and then you configure your S3 bucket for all your images. And, like, you kind of have to, like, piece by piece things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, DevOps as a job is not one person's job. It's yeah. actually multiple people's job. Yeah. It's just nowadays, uh, you know, with the services that they have, um, they've turned that individual job into such a small piece that one person can do all of those jobs. Yeah. Like it used to be that, you know, you'd have like database team, yep. you'd have networking team, you'd have, you know, like the server team doing their own thing. And then you'd have like maybe like a release management or, you know, like QA team that's yeah. kind of, you know, doing all the, the automation stuff, right? Like everything was separated. Yeah. And now it's like they want to have like developers and then like one team that does everything else. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what DevOps is. Yeah. And the only reason it's possible is because, you know, like AWS and Google Cloud have kind of, you know, automated away like 80 or 90% of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you don't have to worry about like changing out hard drives or no. whether, you know, a oh, yeah. server is up. Well, I'm like, so happy not to have right? to do rack and stack anymore. Oh, my God. Oh. That's the word. Like, like one cable. Hot aisles, you know. Oh just, my god! Uh, yeah, tripping uh, over cables. Yeah, tripping over cables. Oh, um, battery backups dying. Oh, yeah. um, what else? Yeah, uh, like uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but yeah, like we had um, one data center at uh, MySpace. Okay, uh, that was one place I worked at, and um, uh, it's they they thought they had redundant um, PDUs, like redundant power supplies, mm-hmm. but the they were using Y cables in the data center to the same, like, you know, uh, power hookup. And yeah. so when they tripped the breaker one time because they exceeded their capacity, yeah. everything went down. Oh, my God. <laughs> so ridiculous. You know, they're supposed to have two separate yeah. redundant links that they are actually paying for. Yeah. But for whatever reason, when, you know, like they set it up, they just had like these stupid Y cables that were just oh going God. all to the same spot. And it's just. That's hilarious. Well, that's the thing is there's like, there's so, we talked a little bit about this before we went on. There's so many moving parts with this, right? It's like Amazon just came in and they're like, oh yeah, all the physical stuff, don't worry about any of it anymore. Like, holy crap, that's a lot to not have to worry about. You don't have to worry about, you know, redundancy. You don't have to worry about power. Like you don't have to worry about any of these things anymore. Like just create your virtual instances and we'll make sure the servers stay up and we can recover your data at any time. Yeah. I mean, like you do have to worry about it, but you don't have to worry about it on the same scale. Yeah. Right? Like you don't have to worry about one data center, but you definitely do have to worry about like your regions, right? For sure, yeah. You know, you want to be in different zones. You want to have like data replication and like DR and all of that. But yeah, it's it's definitely a different problem than it used to be. Yeah. How so on on the long on the long along the lines of DR, we've been kind of dealing with that at, at Leaf Group, how to come up with like a really good DR strategy. What what was your what's been your kind of approach to DR? Are you just in the different regions and so you just kind of fall back if one of those regions goes down or so um, right now well, so when I got to this company, like, it was already kind of architected in a way that, like, there's not a lot of HA. 
Like there's okay. a lot of HA within the region, yeah. but they're in one region and that's kind of it, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's something that we're sort of solving yeah. um, by re-architecting the, 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 the way the code is, you know, doing communication. For sure. But yeah, it's, you know, like right now we're about as HA as we can be mm-hmm. without being multi-region, um, but... Um, yeah, that's a thing like, you know, having the ability to sync your data across regions quickly enough to be like at least near real time is a real, you know, it's a technological challenge. It's not an easy one to solve. But, um, as far as DR, like a cold DR, um, you know, we have like backups that are hourly that, you know, we can, we can spin up at, you know, if like the entire region just went down, we would have some way to recover, but it would be, you know, probably like five, six hours, right? Because, I mean, we do have a lot of automation um, behind, like, the, you know, the deploying and spinning up of infrastructure yeah. and, you know, the configuration management and all of that. Um, so it's not as bad as, you know, it might have been a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's still slower than, you know, we'd like it to be ideally. Yeah. Right. I think everyone is kind of, like, always building on their DR, right? Like, yeah. no one is ever like, oh, yeah, we got perfect DR. Like, no matter what happens, we're definitely going to be up in three seconds. Like, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like... Netflix. Have you heard about what, you know, no, like I'd Netflix, lo- like their whole philosophy for their infrastructure? No, what is it? it it's basically no snowflakes. Like uh, anything can fail at any time. So design it to fail. Okay. Right. So they have, um, you know, a bunch of different tools that they built internally that will just go through their network and kill random parts of it. Oh, weird. Just like pull the plug on it. And, you know, like they have to architect their software in such a way that that doesn't matter. The, the, you know, the, the, the services can spin up and, you know, fail over automatically, seamlessly so that there's no downtime. And, you know, I mean, like, you can't, you know, it costs, you know, a lot of effort to do that. For you know? sure. So, I mean, like, you know, not everybody can do it, but it's just really cool to have that kind of philosophy and just to build everything with that, you know, super resilience. Do they do that on production yeah. environment? production. Holy shit. Yeah. It's Damn, crazy. Damn, that is super. So, like, they could have an outage and it's their fault. Yeah, I mean, like, if they ever do have an outage, it's probably because yeah. they messed something up because, <laughs> you know, like, they're just, they're having outages every day that their, you know, infrastructure yeah. just handles. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> so, for DR, I've always been curious, like, databases hold a crazy amount of data, right? Yeah. How do you recover a database from, like, DR? Like, what if you have one region go, to, like, let's say everything is on U.S. West, mm-hmm. all right? U.S. West goes down. You want to come up on U.S. East. Yeah. How how the fuck do you get all that data over there? Well, so one thing that my current company is doing is we're we're using Redis as a database, oh, which is okay. a terrible idea. Yeah, I was because it's say. all in memory, yeah. right? Like, y- there's no soft recovery there. There's yeah. you know no redundancy there. So um, uh, one of the things that we're migrating to right now is Redis Labs. Okay. Which is like um, a, a semi-managed cluster Redis. Okay. Right? Like like Redis has like this, um, you know, open source like clustering that it can do. But Redis Labs is kind of like a front end for it that makes it super easy to migrate oh, to. Okay. And super easy to, to manage like failover and everything. Um, and it's actually a really slick product. 
Like, you know, before we had Redis Labs, like if one of our main databases went down and we had to promote, yeah. that wouldn't happen automatically. We'd have to do it manually. Oh, and it would okay. be like a, you know, DNS update and then restarting the services. So, you know, it'd be like, you know, 20, 30 minutes of downtime. Yeah. Whereas with Redis Labs, uh, I can go in there, reboot a node, and it automatically fails over in like 20 seconds. Like Whoa. you can see like a little blip where, you know, like we, we reduce the service level, yeah. but it comes right back it's wow. crazy but yeah like as far as dr for that like um you can just configure backups in it and it'll run them you know whatever uh you know interval you want and then those backups they're just like snapshots of the database but um the you know like rebooting that up it's you know you just provision the nodes and then you point it at the the data set and load it and you know it i mean it might take maybe 30 40 minutes to load the data set if it's really big yeah. but yeah it's it's definitely uh, a way better solution than what we you know have like what we're migrating away from yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense so that sounds like a like a pretty cool technology redis labs like oh, yeah. i've never heard of that yeah i i hadn't heard of it either but um yeah i guess um i guess it's somewhat popular um i think like facebook is using it oh, a few wow. other people are using it um i mean they claim to have like almost a thousand clients right okay um but yeah like it's i mean playing around with it in the in the load test environment and you know like seeing what it can do because you know the other thing was when we're moving to clustering we have to worry about like well is network latency going to be an issue yeah Right, because we are heavily abusing the performance of Redis in yeah. production. Right, we need it to have you know response times in the microseconds for these calls. Yeah. Right. So you know, like adding a clustered style environment where you know things are going over the network um, to talk to different nodes. We were like, well, is this going to work? Yeah. You know, like are we still going to have to have everything homed on one server? Are we going to have to do this all manually? But yeah, once we got it all set up, and um, you know, we had like a uh, a test with like you know everything on one node, everything on distributed nodes, and it it pretty much didn't matter. It That's was, awesome. Yeah, I mean like the hit was so small that we couldn't really even tell. Yeah. It it you know I mean like it was barely there on the graph. Like you can you compared both graphs like you know the the open source Redis to you know this new product and like you could see a difference, but it was so small that like you know we put it in production and it it, it doesn't even shrug. It's it's awesome. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. So. You mentioned some some kind of keywords like clustering and, mm -hmm. and building this out. What's kind of like the hardest part uh, of doing DevOps right now? Like what's like a really – is it like load balancing? Is it clustering? Is it databases? Is it server uptime? I kind of feel like the hardest thing is just figuring out which problem to tackle at which time. Okay. Right. Because there's so many of them, yeah. you know, like there's just like the like the developer experience, like, you know, like automating it so the developers can, you know, just do deploys in the non-prod environments can, you know, like maintain their own kind of little environments and, you know, have that be like, you know, sort of dynamic so that, you know, like you can have a bunch of different initiatives going all at once. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's a ton of work to get set up in in the first place. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, like that was uh, a lot of fun to work 
work on, like we went from having like a few long running environments that everybody would use mm-hmm. to having like these dynamic environments that, you know, like you just run a Jenkins job and it runs for like an hour and it spins all this stuff up and, you know, like anybody can have an environment for whatever purpose. Oh, nice. Right. And, you know, like, like deciding to do that versus, you know, like, like cleaning up your config management because mm-hmm. we have um, this, you know, like set of cookbooks and chef that are just kind of like a nightmare. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, like, I mean, it would be nice to clean that stuff up, but you're not necessarily, I mean, you're making your lives better maybe, Yeah. but sometimes it's like, well, we'd rather just, you know, move forward and worry about other things and maybe just migrate to like Docker, Yeah. right? Where we just take Chef out of the equation, yeah. you know, like Docker and ECS and Kubernetes and just, you know, like, like take advantage of some technologies that are, you know, like more where we want to go anyways. Yeah. Uh, along the technologies, uh, you mentioned Docker. Do you guys use Docker? Yeah, we've migrated um, a decent amount of services to Docker. Yeah, and it it, it works a lot better, right? Like we're using um, ECS, Elastic Container Service, okay. which is the the AWS uh, managed version of Docker. Okay. And um, yeah, like deployments are super easy. Uh, nothing gets deployed until like the health checks finish and everything is up and running. So, you know, like deployments, they're basically no risk, right? And if you have to roll back, like if it actually does pass health check, but there's something else that's wrong, it's, you know, you deploy another config and it, you know, re-promotes and bam, you know, you're done. Yeah. Like it's, it's so much easier to um, to deal with, you know, like in your production environment, mm-hmm. right? And it's also a lot easier to communicate changes um, from development to production because these containers, they're, they're artifacts, mm-hmm. right? Like whether you put it in the dev environment or you put it in the production environment, it's the same thing, yeah, right? Uh, you might have more of them in prod because you have, you know, more For load sure. or whatever, but um, yeah, it, like this artifact style of deployment, it's, it's just so much nicer because you have this consistency. Yeah. You're, you're not worried about like, you know, like, oh, well, was that configuration on this server made on that server? You know, like, uh, w- was there some other weird little environmental thing that, you know, like we overlooked, yeah. right? Like now it's just, okay, the this container that has everything inside of it, we're going to push it from here to there. Does it work? No? Okay, roll it back. All right, let's see what happens, <laughs> right? Like, it's just so much nicer to, to troubleshoot and you don't have the, you know, like this sort of inconsistent... Um, inconsistent like environment yeah absolutely right? you don't have like node six on one and node eight on another yeah, like exactly. they're just all the same you don't have to worry about any of those other like challenges what's like one of the the downsides of docker though because you're adding a layer right so there's an extra layer of complexity is it like harder to like you know are, are there logging issues or something I, I feel like i've heard something around there yeah no logging was definitely one of the challenges yeah and it kind of still is Um, like it was easy to migrate our apps because our apps were already, um, uh, we were using a elk stack, like Logstash, Elasticsearch, Kibana, um, to, uh, you know, hold all of our logs and, uh, our apps were already talking to it over, um, the network. Right. So that was easy to migrate. Like the apps are easy to migrate, but like trying to migrate, um, you know, like Sensu or like Elasticsearch itself and making sure that, you know, like the logging, you know, uh, works correctly. And then like, even in cases where it crashes that the logs still get picked yeah. up, like, yeah, that's definitely, um, one of the challenges that we've kind of been having, um, 
with uh, some of some of the use cases for Docker. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and yeah, like sometimes there are interesting network issues. Like uh, our main application, uh, it's written in Erlang and it uses uh, XMPP. What? Whoa! What's XMPP? It's this. Uh, well, it's the protocol that uh, like Google Hangouts used to use. Okay. It was like a messaging protocol that got pretty popular for a while. Yeah. Um, and so we're using that internally, but. Uh, one of the things that's difficult is that it needs a ton of ports to be able to play around with, and it needs those ports to be connected up to all these other machines yeah. or all these other instances. Yeah. So trying to do that, like from a networking perspective in Docker, is yeah. kind of a nightmare. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's like it's kind of ridiculous. So we haven't migrated that one yet. Yeah. And you know, like there's a few other ones that we're just waiting for time to you know to to get the bandwidth to to go back with Dev and you know like make sure that um, that uh, you know like we can Dockerize it and then they can make sure everything's working. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, another thing that was an issue with migrating to Docker was like um, troubleshooting issues. Okay. Because uh, the developers. You know, the with Erlang, you have like this console, okay, right? Like this this Erl console that you can, uh, you know, run arbitrary commands in. You can okay. interact with the code like live while it's yeah. running and gather information. And so, we had to figure out how to be able to allow them to connect to that console within the Docker container oh. without giving them like ridiculous permissions, yeah. right? Because like the the socket to talk to Docker, it's all owned by root, and so you know, like just having you know, some consistent, easy way for them to interact with the apps, um, you know, and like, uh, just like those permissions, it it took a little while to figure out, but yeah, like we, we ended up having to write a wrapper script and, um, you know, like we had to give them a way to determine, uh, which ECS instance a given, you know, like, uh, Docker container was running on because, you know, like before it was like, we'd have one machine that's labeled for this service. They'd go to that machine and they'd interact with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that it's like, uh, ECS, it's like just this big blob of machines where any container can be running anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, like just, just teaching them kind of how to do that, like how to interact with the AWS API and, you know, like scripting it. Like that was, yeah, that was another interesting sort yeah, of cool. like learning experience for dev. You yeah. Know? So speaking of developers, like how closely do you usually work with developers? I mean, we sit right next to each other. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's definitely um, a, a close knit group. Like the, the backend team I feel like is a little more, um, integrated with us for sure, yeah. Uh, because that was just kind of the culture at the company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a, a web team is, you know, like the 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 new guy that's there. He's, you know, he wants to to be in on all these initiatives. Yeah. Um, because you know he wants to make his life easier, you know, with deployments and stuff. So yeah. you know, like recently we've been kind of working with him so that you know, like even in production, he can do his own deploys. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, you know, like he, he pushes to an S3 bucket and, you know, flushes a cloud front, um, which is uh, like a CDN caching layer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he he can just do the deployment and we just kind of monitor it. And if he needs to roll back or something doesn't work, you know, like we're there to help him. Oh, nice. But for the most part, you know, it's completely self-serve, yeah. even in prod, which is great. Wow. Nice. But, um, yeah, like the, the mobile uh, teams are... Um, like a little more separate from us. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, a lot of their workers are remote anyways, and oh, so they're okay. not necessarily there in the office. But yeah, like the that's the only 
part of um, our, you know, development that I feel is like, you know, we could definitely communicate with them better and yeah. service them better. Yeah, I feel like uh, backend developers specifically are getting like more and more tech-opsy, dev-opsy yeah. type tasks, right? Like, I mean, they're, I mean, it's kind of like starting to mold a little bit, I feel <laughs> like, or they're like, you know, they're dealing with like Kubernetes a little bit or, you know, they're, because I mean, they're saving information in databases, you know, they have to have servers and everything. And so it's like, yeah. it's almost like there's so many touching points that, that it makes sense that you guys would sit right next to each other. Yeah, no, I like they definitely are more interested because, you know, like their software is connected to a lot more uh, different services, yeah. right? Like web, it's just like, you know, your web and, you know, you're using like React and it's in the browser. And yeah. so it's kind of like divorced from everything. You For have sure. an API endpoint that you're calling and that's yeah. it. But yeah, like the server team, like they have to know, yeah, like how to connect to Redis. They have to know, you know, like how to connect to Cassandra, how to, you know, interact with Elasticsearch, you know, and some of it's like done in their code for them, right? Yeah. Like they have a lot of utility functions that kind of abstract it away from them. But for sure. yeah, like when they're troubleshooting issues and trying to help us out, yeah. like they, you know, more understanding helps. And so, you know, they are very interested in that sort of, um, you know, like level of understanding. Yeah. One of the like huge uh, buzzwords for the last like five years, I, I heard you mention Cassandra has mm -hmm. been like big data, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, big data. We use big data to power our AI. Like, it's always all the buzzword stuff. Mm -hmm. We're in the cloud. Used to be the the old one. Um, <laughs> what what exactly does Cassandra do that something else couldn't do? So like. Cassandra was the database technology that we were going to migrate to from Redis before we like uh, found out about Redis. Oh, apps, okay. Right? Um, now, the challenges with migrating to Cassandra was mostly just the fact that the interface was very different from Redis. And okay. so, like, you couldn't do the same stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, Redis, you're operating on keys and you have these specific operations you can do. Yeah. But, like, in Cassandra, it's, you know, a relational database with tables and, yeah. you know, queries and, you know, like, selecting. So, it's, it's a completely different way of interacting with your data. Yeah. Right. Um, but Cassandra, what it can do that Redis can't, uh, or at least Redis couldn't, is it can cluster um, really reliably. Okay. And it can provide you with really easy data replication. Yeah. Right. So if you want to, you know, lose like four or five nodes out of your cluster, you can do that. If you want to have, you know, your cluster live in like a bunch of different regions, you can do that. Okay. And it's basically just built into the technology that it just has this, um, you know, uh, like resiliency and redundancy just built into it. Yeah. You know, and it's configurable and, you know, you can set it and basically forget it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like Redis Labs, because the interface is exactly the same as Redis, yeah. like it just, you know, it, it was an easier win. And so we ended up um, migrating more to that. Yeah. I mean, we're still using Cassandra because we started migrating um, before we found out about it. Okay. Um, so we do have, like, some data sets that are kind of multi-homed. Uh, but, yeah, we're probably... Um, going to leave the stuff that's already there in Cassandra, yeah. but we're mostly going to be pushing to Redis Labs. But yeah, Cassandra is definitely an amazing piece of technology because it has, um, you know, a, a high resiliency and a high reliability, but mm -hmm. it still has a really um, high level of performance okay. for the most part. 
Um, there are some interesting, like, internals to Cassandra that can make your life a headache if you're not aware of them. Okay. Right? Like um, what? Like, uh, there's this concept in Cassandra of tombstones. Okay. Where it's basically... That data... sounds very ominous. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, like, pointers to data that used to exist but doesn't anymore. Okay. Right? And so it, it was just kind of a trade-off that they had when they designed it um, where they wanted to uh, have uh, the ability to, um, to deal with changing data sets across different clusters, okay. across different nodes in the cluster, right? And be able to have like this agreement of like what's actually the data set yeah. and, you know, like what's uh, going to be the data set and all of that. And so these tombstones are just trackers for um, deleted data so that, you know, it can go through, ask all the nodes. And if it sees like a tombstone somewhere, then it knows that that, that data is going to get deleted. Like it's it's deleted somewhere. It okay. may not be deleted everywhere, yeah. but it's going to get deleted. And so you can ignore that piece of data on the other nodes because it's not going to be there anymore. Yeah. Right. So... Yeah, like those tombstones uh, for um, for just kind of like performance reasons, uh, they don't deal with them real time, oh, right? Okay. They just kind of leave them there and so they can accumulate. And so yeah. one of the things you have to do is you have to clean them up. Yeah. You know, like... Do if, you have if, to decide that manually, like when they're going to run a cleanup? So you can... There's settings for it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like that cleanup can... It can add overhead. So it's not something that you necessarily want to do on a really busy cluster. Yeah. Right. You want to pick a time to do it, you know, kind of like off cycle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to do like 2 a.m. when nobody's exactly. using your application because it's going to take a huge performance hit when you do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can also tune it so that, like, you know, the, the rate at which it's cleaning up is, you know, a little lower, so it's not as big of an impact. Yeah, so it'll take longer, but not necessarily, like, exactly. bring everything down if somebody needs to grab something from the database. Yeah, yeah. So what's the difference between, like, Cassandra and, like, a regular, like, SQL database, like Postgres or something? I mean, the the redundancy architecture is definitely very different. Okay. Like, uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as up to like modern day Postgres, but yeah. like when I was, you know, interacting with Postgres and like MySQL, like basically they would have like a master slave relationship okay. where you have like the, um, you know, the primaries that say, this is the source of truth. And this is the only place that you can write data to. And yeah. then you'd have like secondaries, like slaves that you could read from, but you couldn't write to them. Ah, okay. And so, you know, you could kind of tune it so that, um, you know, as many writes as possible are going to the master and as many reads as possible are going to the slaves so that you would have some scalability there. Yeah. But with Cassandra, like, you can read and write to any of the nodes. Yeah. And they have this protocol that eventually gives you data consistency. And you can kind of tune it to say, like, do we want, you know, consistency sooner at, you know, at the cost of maybe blocking things or yeah. do we want consistency later so that we have more flexibility but then we may not get um, consistent results you know, like in sh very short periods of time. Yeah. Okay. Right. But yeah, that's that's the basic um, like architectural difference. I mean, um, other than that, like they, you know, they're both SQL databases. Yeah. So that you know, you can use most of the same query language, and you know, like there's there's indexes and there's keys. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can treat the data very similarly. It's yeah. just the architecture is very different. How how much do you have to deal with databases? Like, do you have to go in and worry about, like, the indexing of a table, that kind of level? Or is it more of, like, 
the database needs to be up and have a backup and have logs type of thing. Yeah, so the place that I'm working at now, uh, most of the decisions about how to like um, key the database and the data sets for like efficiency, that's it's mostly the server team, it's mostly the backend yeah. team. And uh, yeah, we're just there to um, you know get it set up, um, you know maybe tune the, the the configurations to see like what's going to work best with our load and production yeah. for you know a given like um, data set. Uh, and yeah, like the, you know, the monitoring, the, the logs, you know, like aggregation and collection, like that's, that's most of what we're doing with it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause, uh, you know, depending on what the data is, you're not going to really know how the front end is going to need it and how often these queries are going to get it. So it, yeah, that makes total sense. Do you guys use any, uh, NoSQL databases? Uh, besides you mentioned Redis, uh, anything like a uh, MongoDB, like, not a not a key value store, but like yeah, a... no. Uh, currently, we're not using uh, any of the NoSQL technologies. Mm. Okay, because um, yeah, that does just... the the advantage of that is like the the sharding and clustering, right? But like you kind of were going to use Cassandra for that instead. Yeah, like Cassandra is yeah kind of a highly available version of the old-fashioned relational database. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of cool, um, you know, because you don't necessarily have to you know reinvent your app just to interact with it. But yeah, yeah like uh, the previous company I worked at, Spokio, like we did have um, a, a Mongo cluster. Okay. Um, the yeah, like it, you know, it was more flexible, and you could have. Um, you know, instead of just like masters and slaves, you could have, you know, like these, um, like, uh, shadow copies, right? Like okay. if you wanted to do like, uh, backups without hurting your performance, yeah. you know, you would have like these slaves that were just kind of hidden. Nobody could talk to except the cluster and, you know, those boxes, they would get updated with the data, but, um, you know, you could just, uh, dump all the data and, you know, back it up however you wanted to as aggressively as you wanted to. And yeah. that was kind of a, an interesting feature of that technology. Yeah. That's really interesting. How, how is it working with like, SQL or even just Redis as compared to like a, a traditional NoSQL MongoDB type of database system? I mean, for us, it doesn't make too much of a difference. I mean, you have to know, um, you know, like how to configure it and, you know, like, like what your um, trade-offs are, yeah. right? Like, you know, adding more masters, what is that going to do? Like uh, sharding your data set, like, yeah. you know, how long is that going to take, you know, when you add new nodes? Like there, there's a lot of detail that you do have to know about the different technologies, but like interacting with the database itself, we don't have to know too much about it, right? No, absolutely. No, that makes total sense. So kind of along the lines of technology, what's like some uh, DevOps future technology you're like really excited about? Like I know kind of Kubernetes is like the big thing going on mm -hmm. right now, right? But is there like, is there anything else that's like on the horizon? So for um, for TigerText, for this company specifically, um, we're looking at uh, changing how we're doing our um, like request routing and like authentication okay. and everything. And the, What do you mean by request routing? So... Um, 
like we have the the back end, right? Yeah. And then we have like the the front end code that like runs in the browser, runs on you know Android or the mobile platforms. Yeah. And between that, we have um, you know our API endpoint. Yeah. And that endpoint, um, you know, it has to do all of the the HA and all of the routing for like the different requests. Yeah. Right. Because you don't want a bunch of different endpoints if you can you know prevent it because it, there's a lot of extra overhead for adding each additional point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not as big of a deal on. Uh, you know, like browser, but like mobile, uh, for example, it's, you know, like every time you add another endpoint, that's eating more battery, right? Yeah, And absolutely. so, you know, like making your app not a battery hog means you want to have one endpoint that, you know, you're talking to all the time that just routes everything based on, you know, like rest or based on, you know, like uh, request parameters or, you know, however you want to do okay. it. Okay. But yeah, like that routing um, layer uh, right now for us is um, the web server Nginx and uh, HA proxy, which is, um, it's, yeah, it's like a little, it's a little proxy for uh, load balancing and um, for like waiting and, um, you know, a lot of the different stuff that you want to do, like uh, being able to gracefully take out a node. Yeah. Um, that That's, you know, kind of what that software handles. And it handles it like on a, like a network label, uh, okay. on network layer. And it also handles kind of like stickiness of sessions, right? Yeah. Like if you, uh, like... It's badly architected, but right now, uh, one of our internal services, your session is only on one machine. Yeah. So you have to talk to that machine all the time. And mm -hmm. so uh, HA proxy was an easy way to guarantee that one person's session in the browser would always go to the same backend node as long as that node was still up. Yeah. What's like the way you want to have that so that do you point it to like a cluster and it doesn't matter which server it hits, it always maintains that session? So um, AWS, uh, uh, they came out with um, ELBs, Elastic Load Balancers. Okay. And uh, since then, they've kind of like expanded the product. So they have a bunch of different types of load balancers and okay. different ways that you can use them and different use cases. But um, yeah, one of the reasons we couldn't use that was this HIPAA compliance that we had to have. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Like the ELB product wasn't HIPAA compliant for yeah. a very long time. And so we had to kind of build our own thing. And so yeah. that's why we have this Nginx HA proxy. But um, yeah, like the, the configs aren't super dynamic because you have to reload the service and publish a new config in it. You know, it's not very flexible. It's not very yeah. cloud-like, right? Yeah. And so for a long time, we've been, you know, bugging AWS to, hey, can you make these ELBs HIPAA compliant? And the other thing was... Um, uh, elastic IPs. So our clients, uh, you know, they're hospitals, they're very concerned about uh, security and everything. And so they want to have, um, you know, static IPs that they talk to you on. They want to whitelist your infrastructure. Okay. Right. And so e ELBs for a long time, they couldn't have the, the static IPs, the oh. these EIPs. Okay. So you would just get like a random public IP anytime. And so that wouldn't work with the whitelisting our customers. For needed, sure. Right. And so that was the another reason why we couldn't migrate away. Um, but now uh, ELBs have uh, the capability for EIPs. They have, um, you know, HIPAA like certification. So we can migrate to them. Nice. But uh, they, you know, these ELBs, they do the routing, mm -hmm. right? But they don't do some of the other things. They don't do authentication. They don't do rate limiting. Uh, There's a okay. lot of extra things that, um, you know, these these other pieces of software can do. Yeah. So um, uh, the one that we're looking at to migrate right now is is Kong. 
Kong? Yeah. K-O-N-G? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and it's uh, like Nginx-based, but they've uh, integrated uh, OpenResty with Lua to kind of make it like this, um, uh, like Nginx with plugins. Oh, interesting. Like you can make your own plugins with Lua script or um, you can, you know, use any of their, you know, homemade plugins or any of the community plugins. And, you know, it's designed to, to have all of that functionality. Yeah. You know, to, to be able to route flexibly to different backends in your infrastructure and to be able to have authentication for certain routes and no authentication for others and to have like IP whitelisting and, you know, like all of this stuff that we want to have, you know, yeah. rate limiting. So it, you know, like it solves a bunch of problems all at once just by moving to that technology. And Absolutely. so that's kind of what we're looking at. That's really cool. And and AWS just recently like opened up uh, Kubernetes, right? Like yeah. they opened up the the availability. It was like beta only for a while. Yeah, no, uh, while we were moving to um, ECS and Dockerization and everything, uh, you know, uh, we were super happy about the progress we were making, but then they announced this Kubernetes project that's, you know, like managed, uh, you know, uh, Kate servers and we're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, why couldn't you be like a yeah. few months earlier? Oh, why did man. we do all this work? You know, oh. like, because we could have migrated there. Absolutely. You know? But that's yeah. kind of how it works, though, right? It's all about timing with these yeah. technologies. And then, you know, in five years, you'll have to migrate to the <laughs> thing that was better than Kubernetes. So, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's really exciting, but I don't know what our timeline would be to like migrate to it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the tough thing about these infrastructure things, I feel like, is is at a company level, they want to say, okay, we we get this vet benefit by migrating to this technology. And if yeah. it's like, oh, it's a performance benefit, you know, it's a, you know, uh, our customers are going to be able to access the application faster, like they're probably going to go to it, right? But if it's like, oh, you know, the biggest thing we just talked about, DR, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is going to increase our DR and, uh, you know, we'll be able to roll... Well, our application hasn't gone down in two years. So, like, you know, it, it takes, yeah. like, that disaster to happen before people are like, all right, we got to fucking do something. Yeah. No, management loves to be reactive. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, it's just it's just this philosophy, right, that Absolutely. they, they kind of have that they, they want to use their resources for, for benefit now yeah. uh, more than they want to use their resources for benefit later. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like the company I'm at right now, we're we're actually pretty well balanced. I feel yeah. like, but I have been at other places where it just felt like you'd have like you know one set of leadership come in, kind of like locusts, and yeah. just you know like push a few really quick win initiatives that yep. would just you know create a bunch of problems later, yeah. and then move on, and then yep. the next set comes in, and they have their own silly initiatives that Absolutely. you know aren't necessarily. Uh, gonna help you long term, but they, you know, like they cut budgets all of a sudden, yeah. you know. So the numbers look really good for this quarter. And, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like uh, working for a smaller company, I, you know, I feel like it's it's a lot better because you can, you know, you can communicate with management on a small level and not have to worry about, you know, like the director of the director and you know, yeah. like the this, you know, this CTO that doesn't even, you know, visit your office except for once a year and all this <laughs> weird stuff. You know, like it feels a lot more, um, you know, like controllable, I guess. Yeah. You know, like you have the ability to communicate in a really personal way and, you know, it's it's a lot nicer. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, 
where what is like the the growth path for someone in DevOps? Like for a developer, it's usually like for web developer, it's like front end, back end, then like management or architect or principal engineer, whatever you want to call, you know, lead developer. Um, and then you kind of, you know, VP of engineering, like then you yeah. kind of just move up to that kind of stuff. What is what is like the track for DevOps? It's pretty similar. I mean, you have, you know, like your DevOps, you have your senior title, and then yeah. maybe you have like, uh, you know, like an architect type position. Okay. Um, you know, like a, a director of operations kind of thing. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty similar, like, once you get to that point. Yeah. You know, and that is one of the things that I've kind of struggled with personally is like, you know, I like doing the tech stuff. Yeah. I like being on the ground floor and building this stuff and, you know, like working with the actual code and everything. Yeah. So, you know, like moving into like a more management type position, it doesn't hold a lot of interest for me. Yeah. You know, it is the way that I would kind of have to go at some point. Yeah. But, you know, I, I want to postpone that as long for as possible. Sure. Uh, one of the other interesting things that I've kind of seen in the last few years is um, uh, people kind of founding their own like uh, consulting groups. Okay. Right. These just like uh, groups of guys that are, you know, all like DevOps experts and they're just kind of of reselling their expertise to company X, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're just, like, they'll say, like, we'll migrate you to the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, that. that's one of those things that's both exciting and scary. For sure. Right? Because it's like, uh, you know, that sounds really awesome. Like, you know, you're you're making all of your own decisions. And, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're just kind of being your own boss. But it's like... You know, like, are you going to be able to get clients? For you know, sure. like, it's, it seems like it's super competitive. So Absolutely. it's like, how do you, you know, differentiate yourself from anybody? How do yeah. you, you know, like, continue to bring business in? So, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's one, you know, direction that you could potentially go. I just don't know uh, if I will go in that direction. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Most of the people I've talked to um, have kind of had like a similar thing where, they really like the technical stuff, but in order to achieve, like, the full, like, autonomy, like, they usually talk about starting their own business. Like, that's yeah. kind of the direction you kind of have to have if you want to have, like, real control over what you're doing, right? There Now there's all that other stuff, right? Like, finding clients and, mm -hmm. and, and all the other pressures of the business end of things. But I think to, like, really own and really do what you want, you kind of have to start your own business at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, like, besides uh, just consulting in general, like, joining on with startups is another avenue that, yeah. you know, people sometimes choose to go with. And it's, uh, for me, I've looked at it and I'm like, wow, that seems, you know, way too stressful, yeah. right? Because, <laughs> you know, like, uh, anytime that I've talked to somebody that has worked in startups, they're like, man, your your life is going to be, like, way unbalanced for a very long time. Yeah. But then they're always like, I, you know, I'm really happy because, you know, like, I learned so much and, you know, like, it was a really interesting experience and, you know, like, uh, it's it's, like, cool to just kind of you know, be able to make all the decisions, yeah. right? You know, as far as like how we're going to build it and how we're going to maintain it and everything. Yeah. But yeah, like, um, like startups is, it's definitely another way that you can go. And, uh, you know, it can be more lucrative, right? Because sometimes, sure, you know, more. like if you get a company that, you know, like you, you have some stock in and it gets yep. bought out, like, oh man, that's, Absolute. you know, that's, that's a dream. the dream. Right? That's a hundred percent the dream. Exactly. Man. 
but yeah, it's it's also risky. You know, like yep. there's tons of startups that go nowhere. There's tons yep. of startups that, that just die. Like a, a friend of mine, he was um, working for a startup that, uh, you know, like they were trying to get sold for, you know, like this period of time that they had, like a few years. Yeah. And it ended up that they couldn't get sold to um, anyone they wanted to get so- sold to. And so they just kind of had to start saying, okay, anybody, you know, and just like bringing the price down and yeah. down. And eventually um, uh, this like media conglomerate like newspaper like media oh, interesting. Uh, uh, on the east coast ended up buying them yeah and you know like his his platform like uh, uh the company what they would do is they would like scrape for content okay. on the internet and basically like like soft steel people's content yeah. right <laughs> and so it's like this super shady business model that yeah. you know i was like there's nobody that's gonna want to buy no, this because it's sure. you know it's not legitimate yeah but um yeah like the uh it was just interesting to see who actually purchased it. For sure. Right. Um, I don't know exactly what they're doing with it now. Um, you know, I know that his platform hasn't changed very much. Okay. Um, you know, but like, uh, I can't imagine, you know, like what their, their business plan is for it. Yeah. You know, like this scraper, like, are they going to scrape their own sites or, yeah. you know, like, what are they going to do with it? I don't know. That's a really good point. Cause it's like, Google is so good at finding duplicate content and I mean, companies are too, right? Like if a company sees a duplicate article on their, on another website, like they report it to Google and Mm -hmm. dude, if you get like, if you get uh, too many flags, you're just out of Google. And guess what? If you're a content company and you're not on Google, you're done. You might as well just pack up because- how are people going to find you? Like nobody goes to your website. (laughs) Oh, which article do they have today? No, people Google things, right? Yeah, no, that is another thing that's super crazy about how the internet has changed. Like, you know, before, like, you had, like, a bunch of different search engines and you had a bunch of different ways of, like, trying to find content, you know, and you'd even just, like, talk to people and just be like, oh, where do you go? Oh, I go to this forum. Oh, I go to that forum, you know? Like, but now it's, like, Google is king, you know? Like, everybody, you know, like... Like the browser, like Chrome, you literally start typing something in and where does it go? It goes to the Google search engine. It doesn't go anywhere else. You know, I mean, you can configure it to go somewhere else, but most people aren't that savvy. So, you know, like, you know, even on your Android phone, you just type something in, it goes to Google. You know, it's, it's really crazy how, how like dependent people have become on just like one company. A hundred percent. I, I think it's terrible. I think it's awful. I, I think people... Although Google hasn't fucked up royally yet, I think that having that much control over everyone is super negative. Now they're, you know, they're building the fiber connection. So they're going to have your internet connection. They're going to have everything you've ever searched, right? You're using their browser and then you're going to use their search engine to look for anything you ever want to look for. It's like they're going to control your whole fucking life. And it's like, what if you fall through the cracks and like something happens where you can't use those services? Yeah. You can't complain to them. What no. it, they don't care. They're, they, they deal with billions of customers. Your little voice saying, oh, my problem. What about my problem? They don't care. That's noise, man. Like, yeah. that's, just, that's just noise. They're just going to step on you. So that scares the shit out of me, these companies like Apple and Google who are just like – taking over every aspect. And I think I think it's kind of the ebb and flow of everything and especially with technology is where we we went from the separated uh you know spread out uh ecosystem to all of a sudden these conglomerates 
And then something's going to happen. These conglomerates are going to break up. We're going to have a separated ecosystem. Then it's going to go right back. It's like everything with technology just kind of repeats itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hope that's what's going to happen, but that may not this time because these like these companies are bigger than any companies that have ever existed. That's true. Like if you that's look true. at the numbers of like how big like Google, Amazon, Microsoft – like how big these companies are, yeah. Facebook, like it's crazy what, you know, like if you put them on a pie chart with like, yeah. you know, hundreds of other companies, they're like half the pie chart. Yeah. You know, they're just way too big. It's yeah. scary. But um, it's kind of funny that you mentioned like Google Fiber. Like right now, uh, I would really be like super happy to get Google <laughs> right? Fiber, right? So would I. Because it's so much better than, you know, like all these uh, cable companies, Absolutely. you know, like they're just awful and they, you know, like you see these weird, uh, like lobbying things that they're doing to kind of dismantle, you know, like the openness of the internet yeah. and the freedom to be able to go and use whatever. Yeah. And, you know, like that's really scary. Like, like Google... Like, it's super central, and so it is, like, scary as an idea and as a concept. Yeah. But so far, they have been more of a proponent for, you know, rights of people than, yeah. uh, you know, like these other companies that, you know, are smaller still, but, like, they own the home business, right? Yeah. Like, they own your internet from the home to, you know, uh, the data center or whatever. Yeah. And so it's... You know, like I at this point, I would still rather have Google in charge of yeah. that. But yeah, like long term, you know, like the the management will change eventually, Absolutely. and so you know, who knows? Like, I mean, with that much power, like you know, absolute power corrupts. You Absolutely. know, so it's <laughs> it it is kind of scary to to see like these huge tech conglomerates and these huge like entertainment conglomerates like you know building themselves up yeah. and becoming kind of monolithic and uh you know the the sort of tactics that they're using to kind of like remove rights from us absolutely and they're just they have everything you mentioned the entertainment one i mean disney's just gonna buy everything they're yeah. just gonna you know lucas films fox whatever whatever has decent content they're just gonna buy it and own it and yeah. then they'll create their streaming service and then what does netflix do you know what i mean mm -hmm. so that's another thing like content like, yeah. it, it was kind of cool to see, you know, Netflix kind of rise up and, like, break the mold and, you know, just have, like, this this platform that was, you know, pretty decent. You it know, was like, awesome. You know, like, like, really easy to use and, you know, like, portable and, you know, like, shareable. Like, you know, you could, you could have your friends using your Netflix Absolutely. and stuff. You know, like, uh, and it was so... It was so weird how it started because it was just like a DVD it was mail a service. Fucking DVD mail service, you know? man. Think about that. Yeah. If you want to watch a series, <laughs> you get one DVD at a time. You yeah. watch those. How many episodes? How many hour episodes? Like three, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like a DVD. That's you know maybe like three hours of content at most. Yeah. Max. So you get three episodes. <laughs> then you have to send it back, which takes like at least two or three days. Mm -hmm. Then they have to process it. Then send you back one. So you're, wait, you're talking about like a week in between watching yeah. episodes of your show. They went from that to, oh, you can just watch all of it right now. Yeah. That's fucking nuts, man. Oh, yeah. No, and it's great. And it is it is kind of scary to see, the, you know, like now these big old time, uh, you know, like content producers, they realize that, oh, we can't stay with our yeah. old model and continue to grow. Yeah. We need to move to this new model. And so now, uh, 
you know, for a little while, you know, they were licensing to Netflix because that was a way to monetize. But yeah. now it's like, oh, they're our competition because we need to move this way. Yeah. And so we're going to pull all our content. We're going to put it on our own streaming yeah. service. It's probably going to be crap. You know, it's going to have a terrible user experience because yeah. they don't, you know, they don't have the experience that Netflix does, yeah. you know, with their infrastructure. With their they're UI not software companies. Yeah. They don't know how to They no. create content. They have no fucking clue how to create yeah. software. And so it's, yeah, like the user experience is just going to be awful, but, you know, that's going to be the only way to get their content Absolutely. legally. You know, yep. I mean, of course, you know, you can get it from like the you know, file sharing or whatever. For but sure. I mean, that, you know, that carries its own risks. So, But that's what's happening is like we had cable, right? Everyone yeah. was happy with cable for like 15, 20 years. Yeah. And you got everything. And then people yeah, were like, wait. you didn't have wait. to worry about reception. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was the reliable... And, you know, like easy to use and it had like more content than anybody. Absolutely. But then they kept adding content and then every piece of content they add, they kept marking the bill up. It got more and more expensive. And then all of a sudden people were like, I don't need 300 channels. I only watch three channels. Why can't I just get my three channels and not pay $120 a month? Like they just, it got astronomical. And so now everything's broken up, but people are going to be like, well, I want to watch one movie from Disney and I want to watch one movie from Universal. I have to have two $10 subscriptions to do that. Like that's yeah. stupid. So yeah. all of a sudden we're going to come back to someone's going to bundle them together and everyone's going to love that for a little while. Yeah. No, the like it is kind of cool to see like Netflix and Amazon producing their own content. Now, that That's right? the best thing they've ever done. Yeah. Because they saw that they saw the writing on the wall. Exactly. And so they definitely needed to do that. But, yeah, like, uh, there is a lot of that content that, you know, I really like, you know. Oh, absolutely. It's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Like, like, Stranger Things? Are you kidding me? Stranger Things. Stranger Things? It's, like, one of the best shows ever. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Dude, they have so much good content. But that's the other cool part is with this content, what's happened is all these shows – that were getting rejected because they weren't clean enough for CBS. They mm-hmm. didn't, you know, follow the standards of HBO. You know, Showtime didn't think it was a good enough series. All of a sudden, these like gems are just getting plucked by Netflix and yeah. and Hulu and Amazon, and they're like, "This is a good show. Like, we're just gonna buy this." Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. No, it it is nice because for a long time it felt like. Uh, you know, like the existing industry was being so cautious that For you sure. were just kind of getting regurgitated stuff, right? Like, like you get like a remake of this, dude. Fucking sitcoms, oh, yeah. man. How many decades did were only sitcoms on TV? <laughs> yeah, like, and I mean, you know, they're entertaining, but they're you know, like nowadays you can watch like an amazing drama on yeah. Netflix, and you're like, oh, this is so exciting, you know? And it's like it's just so much better. It's a know? different experience. It's like sitcoms have their place, right? Like if you're yeah. you're you know you're a little tired, you don't want to think. Okay, turn on a sitcom. But like, exactly. if you want to watch something really entertaining, like Game of Thrones, Stranger, like these are going to captivate you and really yeah. bring you in. Like a sitcom doesn't really bring you in. Like they have a laugh track. They tell you when to laugh. Like it's just a completely different experience of entertainment. Yeah. It's like, you're kind of just turning your brain off. A hundred percent background stuff. Yeah. You know, that's just going on. But all right. We talked about like movies <laughs> and for, for probably way too, let's get back yeah, on, yeah. let's get back on subject here. Hopefully not everyone turned us off yet. <laughs> so, uh, working in DevOps, how do you learn like some of the newer technologies? 
I mean, unless our business is moving towards it, then it's, you know, it's entirely independent. It's yeah. just whatever I get interested in having, you know, at home or just like working with because it seems kind of cool. Okay. You know, like, yeah, that's that's one of the things that's interesting about the, the industry is that, you know, like every company has its own tech stack and it can be completely yep. different from the previous oh, yeah. one, right? And so, you know, like moving companies is almost a, a neat opportunity to just grow your skill set. Absolutely. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, like they don't want to uh, – have people that are too divergent, you know, like they're like, oh, well, you know, you, you use Ansible, but we use Chef. Like, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> we don't know if that's going to fit. You know, yeah. like, are you sure you can learn? And it's like, come on. It's, you know, it's config management. It's yeah. basically it's the, the same, same set of, you know, like concepts. Yeah. I mean, there's syntax, but that doesn't take long. No, you know? syntax is the easiest part, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, the it's big not thing insurmountable. For... It's just interesting to switch to, you know. Sorry to interrupt. The, sure. the big thing I was thinking when you were talking about like versus uh, Windows versus Linux, like you would <laughs> probably be hard for a Windows DevOps guy to be like, oh, full Linux Ubuntu environment. Like that's a oh, yeah. big difference. Yeah. No, I mean like uh, when I worked at Experian, we did – have like uh, a startup that we bought that was like a like a Windows platform. Okay. Like they you they were using uh, you know Microsoft SQL Server yeah. and they were using IIS and they were using you know like the the whole Windows like front end and back end. Yeah. And um, you know like everything was in .NET and uh, you know C sharp and all of that and it's like. Uh, you know, like they they wanted us to to go from being you know like full on Linux people, you know, who are you know on Debian and stuff to like okay now administer all of this. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, technically, you know, Puppet, uh, what we were using does support Windows. Yeah. But it's like we can't reuse anything <laughs> we already have. No. It has to come from the ground up. Oh, has man. to be rewritten. You know, we have to reinvent the wheel here. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, like um, the 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 yeah the the thing that always frustrated me about Windows was still you know uh, an issue uh, with the new platform. You know, like you you would have some problem in trying to troubleshoot it. Like um, a lot of times, it was uh, weird contention issues in the database, right? Okay. And so you know, like uh, mostly we were using like Oracle and like Postgres, okay. right? Which you know you can monitor pretty easily. They have decent logging, but like the this microsoft um sequel like it was it felt like a closed box like it was hard to monitor it was it was hard to like you could get some information from you know like the, there were like processless commands and you know like you could see like what was running and what was locked and you know but like it was so just complicated how how these queries were interacting and how these locks were kind of like um you know like uh separating data sets like it it was just hard to monitor yeah right and you know i mean like this company was a small startup they hadn't worked on any of that yeah right so like none of the developers had you know like uh architected anything with this kind of like um, supporting mindset, right? Okay. Like they knew how it worked. Yeah. And so, you know, like they could take a look at it and, you know, like see like, oh, well, if that's stuck, then it's got to be this, yep. right? Like they knew. Yeah, it was all domain knowledge. There was no yeah. way to figure it out like externally, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah, like that that whole issue of just, you know, kind of being a black box, like, yeah, it's it, that would definitely 
be one of the things that, um, you know, like Windows people coming into Linux would be like, oh, you have all these tools yeah. and you can see what's going on. <laughs> and there's all these logs yeah. and there's all these stats that you're collecting, yeah. you know, and all these pretty graphs. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is great, you know? But yeah, like it, it would definitely be a, a, a huge switch. Yeah. So do you, do you do like side projects then to work with the technology that you want to work with? I mean, I haven't done too much of it because um, uh, just recently uh, I, we had a son. Oh, like, congratulations. He, he's he's going to be two in September. Oh, nice. So that was a huge, yeah. you know, like game changer. For sure. You know, like my whole life now revolves around him when yeah. it's, you know, outside of work. And so I don't have a ton of free time to, to work on projects. But yeah, yeah before that, um, I was definitely, you know, trying to find time and trying to find interesting things to work on. Like uh, a friend of mine, he was setting up um, like OpenStack and uh, Eucalyptus. Um, for a client, you know, in a data center downtown. And so okay. I was helping him, you know, with that. And, uh, you know, like that was a really interesting, like kind of introduction to, uh, you know, like pre-cloud technologies, okay. like your own managed kind of small cloud. And yeah, like, like I did try to find those sorts of projects. Um, and they, you know, they were always hugely rewarding. You learn a lot just, you for know, sure. kind of being, you know, yourself and one other guy just going back and forth, like, oh, why isn't this working? Okay, <laughs> let's try this. Okay. You know, let's Google. Oh, okay. Uh, these people tried this. So let's try that. You know, yeah. like that's, that's always a lot of fun. Um, and it's, yeah, it's always rewarding. That's know? awesome. Uh, do you go to like meetups or conferences or anything to like learn about the newer technologies then? So I did talk about that, you know, like the value of it. But yeah, I myself haven't gone to too much. Like, uh, I think I went to like one little meetup uh, in Pasadena like years ago. Yeah. And like since then, I haven't really like participated in the community because yeah. I just kind of have my like, you know, set of friends that you sure. know, we like hang out and we yep. like trade stories. And, you know, like sometimes we'll we'll bring each other in on, you know, like problems that are different, you oh, know, nice. like works or whatever. Like, oh, you know, I'm having this problem. Have you ever dealt with? Oh, yeah. Like we use that all the time. Oh, let's take a look. OK, yeah. No, like you should try this, you know. Oh, nice. So it's, you know, like I, I already kind of have a community that's meeting my needs and so so I haven't been reaching out as much as I yeah. probably should. No, I feel like it's really tough. Like once you you get quite a few years in, you know, you you stop kind of doing side projects as much. You mm -hmm. stop going to meetups, you know. You don't really need to go to conferences. Like you said, like you have a network of people who are doing the same thing. And so yeah. if you ever talk about work, if they're doing something new, you ask them about it or look it up or, you know, you you have all your newsletters where you're seeing what the latest you know stuff, uh, the latest technology that's coming out. I feel like it's really hard the the longer you're in the industry to really get yourself to do those things. Yeah, I mean, unless the company you're working for kind of forces you into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have your your comfort zone, For right? Sure. And so unless you're like a rabid technologist that's just going out and searching for every little piece of new technology and yeah. fiddling with it at home, like it is kind of hard to stay in the loop. For sure. Because there's so much new, like, you know, it's just a huge variety, oh, you know? It's so impossible much. to keep up with all of it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, maybe you can pick and choose just like the, the latest one or, you know, like the, the one that everybody's kind of, you know, conglomerating around, you know, yeah. but 
yeah, I mean, it, it's just too much. And so, you know, maybe you kind of just get scared off by it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's intimidating. Yeah. Man. So when, you, when you're looking for a new job, we kind of talked about like different companies have different stacks. How much do you value uh, the, the, the current stack of the company you might work for or you might apply for? So, I mean, the only thing I look at is, you know, like how similar it is to my experience versus how different it is. Okay. Right? Um, Because I do want to be valuable to a new company, right? Like, because, you know, I mean, if you go there and then, you know, you you take six months before you're useful, like that's just going to, you know, it's going to look bad. It's going to, you know, like they're not going to like it. They're not going to appreciate it, you know. And, you know, you'll feel like useless you won't like it you know i mean maybe you're learning a bunch of new stuff but you know like there is a lot of value in being able to to produce usable you know like tools and improvements absolutely right um but yeah i mean like for me it's not a huge concern yeah right i mean i usually let them kind of be like the litmus test like you know if they if they want to take a chance on me i mean i'm pretty confident that you know i can get up and running reasonably quickly regardless of the tech stack you know but um but yeah i mean like for me i think the the culture is way more important um, you know, like who I'm going to be working with yep. and, uh, you know, how the management like, uh, you know, understands and, and uh, the different, you know, technical challenges and how, how well they will, um, you know, pivot to, to address those. Absolutely. Right. Like, uh, and so, you know, like when I go into an interview, uh, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of tech check boxes that, uh, the interviewers want to make, right. Like they want to make sure that they're not hiring somebody that has no idea what they're doing. Yeah. But like, from my perspective, what I'm trying to learn in that interview process is, yeah, like, like how do they feel about the company and, you know, the improvements and what are their pain points and how long have they been going on? Absolutely. you know, like, uh, just like how well they feel like they're dealing with challenges and are things getting better? Yeah. You know, cause like if you go into an interview and you ask them like, Hey, how's on call? And they're just like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> don't even ask. Then, it, you know, that's, that's a huge red yeah, flag. Absolutely. It's like, Oh, okay. Uh, hmm, maybe I need to go elsewhere. Right. You know? Yeah. Cause you don't want to feel like that in six months. No, definitely not. You know, you want to enjoy what you're doing. You don't yeah. want to have, you know, your job be like this huge burden on you, yep. you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, on the other hand, like you can sometimes, depending on how much work there is to fix that, like it can be really cool to go in there and, you know, just, uh, you know, kick ass for a few months and, you know, like have like a way better, you know, situation. Absolutely. Right. Like um, this company, when I started, like um, uh, my boss was like, oh, yeah, uh, on call is really horrible, but it was basically just him. Right. And so like that did, you know, I was like, "Mm, that's not great to hear, but there's only one guy here and clearly they need a team. For sure. So, you know, I wasn't as concerned about that as it might be somewhere else. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, like uh, after I started working there, like, you know, in like the first six months, like uh, there was a lot of low hanging fruit that, you know, just hadn't been dealt with because he didn't have the bandwidth because he was just kind of, you know, churning, right. Like just keeping things up and not making progress that, you know, like after I was there, like, you know, made a decent amount of progress, Yeah, you know, 
Uh, and so like now, like, you know, things are so much better, you know, like the, the infrastructure is way better. The reproducibility of the infrastructure is way better. Yeah. And, you know, like having, having accomplished all that is like, it's a really great feeling. Absolutely. You know? I feel like that's always my internal struggle is like, is this too far gone where like, <laughs> I don't want to be here or yeah. like, oh, you mean I can redo this application? Like, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. Or you're working with a new technology that I haven't worked with. Like, yeah, that sounds interesting. I'd love yeah, to do, yeah. love work with that and learn that. Because I, I think it's like you said, once you have enough knowledge, it's just you apply it to a different area. It's not that big of a deal. It's, yeah. it's more of a headache, right? It's harder mm-hmm. than just jumping into what you know. But I mean, I feel like anyone who's in this industry – is in it because they like to learn. You know what I mean? Like you're inherently learning almost every day. And so uh, you kind of have to find that middle ground. And I I thought it was so cheesy when people always talked about culture. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the cheesiest thing ever. I was like, ah, culture, whatever, man. Like it's all about the numbers, baby. Like give me the money, right? (laughs) But it's totally about culture because that's how you feel every day interacting with your coworkers. And if you feel like shit, you don't really like anyone around you you're going to have an awful time. Guess what? You're here most of your day, most of your waking hours. Yeah. So why not enjoy it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt kind of the same way yeah. too, you know, like they were talking about it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Let me turn <laughs> off my brain for a little while. You know, I'll, I'll think about some other problems that we're having, you know. Yep. But yeah, like, like as I've been in the industry for years, like I, I've definitely realized that it, it's important to your well-being day to day. You know, I mean, like you can have technical problems that are really interesting, but, you know, if like, you know, the culture is such that you're dealing with those same technical problems over and over again because you can't make any progress. Yeah. That's awful. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible place to be, you know, and like the, you know, you're going to have like super high turnover and stuff. So yeah, like, like I think now, like a lot of companies are realizing that they need to have a culture that's conducive to keeping quality people because otherwise, you know, they're just going to be in the same boat day after day and they're not going to be competitive in their industry. A hundred percent. And hiring people is hard, man. That's one of the hardest things. Like interviewing people and making sure that. It's so hard. Oh man. How, like what questions do you ask? Like, how do you judge them? Cause like they're nervous, you know, you're nervous. Like it, it, it's so hard to to try and find someone who's a cultural fit, mm-hmm. try and find someone who's a techno technological fit. It just all of it is hard, both ends. Yeah, no, I mean, I haven't found a, a recipe that works a hundred percent of the yeah. time. Like, there's plenty of times that I'll feel really good about a candidate, you know, the that first day and then like the first week, but then you know, like a month down the road, I'm like, oh, why did we hire this guy? <laughs> Dang, I wish we could have figured this out earlier, you know? No, like, um, right after I started, uh, I think it was like about maybe four or five months later, yeah. um, uh, we hired uh, this guy who he had a lot of really good experience. Yeah. Um, you know, like he was, you know, super versed in, in AWS and all the services. And, um, you know, like he had a lot of like good ideas as to, you know, like where he wanted things to move, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, he, he was like, Oh, we need to do Docker and Oh, we need to, you know, like have like, um, instead of having chef, we need to have something that's more, um, flexible and easier to manage. And, yeah. you know, like he had a bunch of really cool ideas, but, um, yeah, like we hired him and, uh, you know, like 
after two months, we were kind of like, eh, you know, like we're not, we're not sure, yeah. uh, you know, like if he's going to work out. And then like the third month, he just like disappeared one day. What? Like, like he called in sick. And then uh, I think like a week went by where he just didn't come in at all. And eventually our HR got a hold of him and, you know, like said like, okay, he's not working for the company anymore. Whoa. So that was like super weird. That is. But yeah, like being able to tell that that was going to happen, like yeah. that's impossible no. in the interview, I think. You know? never, and who <laughs> knows, like maybe that guy was like just totally normal dude and like his mom died and then his, you know, his wife divorced him or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people no, have I, so many things going on that it's like, you know, you, you never know if it like, if you even could have predicted that, you know? Yeah. No, I mean like based on his LinkedIn, it looked like he just went back to the previous company. Oh. So I think, uh, cause when he talked about, uh, his old company, it, it sounded like it was him as a one man show for like all oh. of their tech stuff. Um, and they were doing like VFX. And so I, I think they just offered him as much money as he wanted. Right. And yeah. he was just like, okay, whatever. But you know, just like that weird way that he disappeared was, you know, it was really That's strange, odd. but yeah, we're pretty sure he just went back to that company. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, especially, I feel like that would be very hard for those people who want to be a one man show to all of a sudden like, Hey, join our team of six DevOps engineers. Like, yeah. uh, that's going to be tough for you, man, because you can't call the shots anymore, right? Like, you're a part of a team. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could tell um, that he wanted to move a lot faster than what we could safely move, yeah. right? Like, he wanted to dockerize everything now, yeah. you know? And so, like, we did make some progress on dockerizing one service, but you could tell that he was unhappy about how quickly that was going, yeah. right? But, I mean, normally, you know, like, you feel like that for a while, and then you get, you know, a few different things, like, accomplished, and then you start feeling less like, Absolutely. you know, you're, you're not doing anything and more like, okay, we, we have this velocity and it's yeah. moving forward and you know we're getting better yeah but, yeah i guess he just didn't have the the patience to stick around for it yeah you mentioned velocity do you, does devops do you guys do sprints are you guys like agile and stuff so uh this company we don't do sprints yet okay like we're we're just all uh, kanban board and you know like yeah. ticket requests and um you know we do have like projects but we're not tracking them that way okay you know it's more like you know the, we have like this uh, little planning meeting that we do every quarter and we say okay these are the things we want to accomplish yeah um and then you know like and people are like okay well who wants to do this who wants to do that and it's just kind of like personal ownership yeah right and so then you know every day we'll have like stand up and you know we'll say like okay well we 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 made this progress on this thing and you know like we had these things happen that we had to fix and you know like it's uh, yeah one of the things that's tough about devops is that um because you're supporting the developers yeah you have you know a decent amount of of interrupt driven work right for like, sure you know like if they're having an issue with you know one of their dynamic environments or something that they they need help troubleshooting like yeah. you know you kind of have to drop everything because they're not able to work right Absolutely. like you're being a blocker for them so you know for us like you know we do have our projects and we do have our initiatives that we want to get done but there is a decent amount of time that we have to you know have available for that sort of support work 
Yeah, and you can't really predict that either, yeah. right? And you can't predict how much time that's going to take, right? Because, yeah. you know, maybe it's a small thing, like you said. Like, maybe they're, you know, maybe their dev environment, something. Ha- okay, well, maybe it's a little small thing. You know, yeah. it's not super important. But maybe, like, all of a sudden, you know, the database goes down. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, there goes two days, and you're definitely <laughs> not even thinking about anything else, right? Yeah. No, I mean, uh yeah. With, with the dynamic environments that we have, like, you know, if the database does go down, it's like, okay, I terminate the server. It spins up with, you know, some snapshot yeah. of the database, and now it's ready to go again. So I said it completely backwards. It's probably, like, way harder to troubleshoot a dev environment than it is just to spin up a new database. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> like, like that's that's one of the philosophies that we've kind of been trying to embody is, like, you yeah. know, no snowflakes, nothing long running. If it doesn't work, kill it and let it, re, you know, respin. Yep. I feel like that's the best philosophy, though, is, like, yeah. y- your environment should be able to spin it back up. So if you're having, like, some weird – because it's like you said, like, sometimes that shit just needs to be shut down. Sometimes yeah. it's just doing something weird. Yeah, yeah. But then you you also kind of have to investigate that, too, right? Like, you can't just let that roll because what if that on happens? It depends on where it's on, at. You okay. know? Like, if it's in development and only ever happens once, we don't yeah. care. But if it's in production yeah. – we need to know why that happened, right? Absolutely. And so we need to, you know, investigate as much as possible, gather everything we can. Uh, you know, if we need to interact with, uh, you know, AWS support to get more information, like, you know, we do try to do that. Although AWS support really does suck, you know, oh, really? unless you're like an enterprise member with, you know, like your, your uh, dedicated tech guy or whatever. Yeah. Like the, the support system, it, a lot of times they don't give you anything. Oh, man. Like they'll give you some scripted response that says like, oh, well, you know, like uh, this is how you set up a subnet and yeah. this is how you do security <laughs> groups. And it's just like, we already know all right? that. Like this is not helpful at all. Yeah. We've given you all this information. Oh, like man. why can't you tell us anything? Like um, – uh, I don't know if uh, your company had any issues with it, but we had a lot of issues with the meltdown. Like uh, the, yeah, we when had they were re- doing the meltdown yeah. specter patching. Yeah, we did too. Yeah, like the the uh, we were using Redis databases, and like you know our CPU was you know like seventy eighty percent right. Yeah. But there would come like one day where like one of the databases would go from you know like normal to like a hundred percent CPU yeah. usage, and everything is lagging, and things are backing up, and it's just like what is going on? Yeah. We didn't change anything. We yep. didn't deploy. Why is this not working? <laughs> you know. And then like the very next day, it would quietly go away, yeah. and so we'd open a ticket with AWS. Yes, and you know it would go back and forth a billion times like we saw this instance and it didn't perform the way yeah. it used to and it was just really weird and we didn't see anything wrong with our infrastructure it just seemed like you know the 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 instance itself was like not performing right and we thought that maybe it was like contention right like okay. maybe the vm was just like on a busy vm or something for sure but um yeah eventually we got a response back that you know they had done some patching that day you know to meltdown inspector yeah. and so you know we we're like Oh, okay. At least now we have an explanation for it. Yeah. It's not great that they no. just decided to do that randomly, but you know, like that was about the the same time that they started saying we have to you know restart some of our old running instances because uh, you know they needed the patches to go live and they okay. couldn't do that while they were you know still running. Like yeah. there were certain cer- certain systems that they could just patch seamlessly, and then other ones that had to have a reboot. Oh, interesting. And so that's that's kind of how we found out about it was they had to tell us about yeah. it, and so they they like admitted it. Right. Yeah. 
I feel like that's the frustrating part, though, is you could spend like all day trying to troubleshoot that, looking at your system. Why are we getting the spike? What's happening? And then it's just like AWS email. Oh, by the way, we were patching something. Sorry. Like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, like, you know, it wasn't even that nice that we got an email. We had to like grind them down until we got a friggin', you know, explanation for this weird (laughs) behavior. Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, just give all your data to the big companies and nothing <laughs> nothing bad can happen. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that's, you know, <laughs> wrong with like going with the cloud is that, you know, like if they're cl- if the cloud provider decides to do something that yeah. you don't have any visibility in, I mean, you're kind of at their mercy. So. Oh, 100% you are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do give you tooling to deal with it, but yeah, like in the case of Redis, it's, you know, it runs on a single core, it's single threaded. And so there was nothing we could do about it at that time Wow. at all. You know, we were just like, oh, please don't patch again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just cross your fingers and hope for the best. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, we've been, we're like close to two hours now, man. Okay. You got anything else? Um, anything interesting in de- I feel like this whole thing was like ask a DevOps. Like mm-hmm. I know like some stuff, but I don't know that much. So is there like anything else that like I I didn't ask about? I don't know. I mean, like there's just, there's so much stuff. I know, you know, right? Like, like there's so many different facets to like, you know, DevOps and what we do. And, you know, like, I mean, we didn't. We didn't talk too much about like automation, right? Like, yeah, like let's how talk the, about automation. I mean, it's it's one of those things that like once it's done, it's great, but it's kind of hard to get there. Okay, you know, uh, like uh, I mean, one of the things that that um, we were kind of struggling with was like, so we had like this Jenkins instance yeah. that was just like horrible to maintain like there was no way to like roll back anything so if somebody broke something you know it would take forever to fix it yeah and so we moved from that to travis to travis ci i I don't know if yeah yeah okay so the you know like travis was really cool because you know you just had this little config and it belonged in each repo and you know like the only like variable was like how many slots you bought okay and so you know like like once you had that jink that travis config and you know once your build worked then it was basically just you know good to go yeah like anytime you know developers wanted to push something it would just get built and you know like you could deploy it and you know uh you could spin up an environment if you wanted to and all this okay but yeah like um the the funny thing is that travis has these limitations you know like uh y- you know, like sometimes they they they'll publish like updates that you don't necessarily have control over, oh, right? Like interesting. if you're um you know if you're using like uh their their Erlang, you can you can specify a version, but sometimes like you know the minor version requirements, like you you get like updates and it's you know breaks something, and oh, so you have okay. to kind of like investigate like why did this break? Why didn't it work this time? And yeah, you know like you you look at the logs, but it's it's not always you know super easy to tell exactly what's going on, and so because Travis is like a service right like they host everything and you kind of tell them what you want that what you want to happen right yeah like you have a config that you publish that kind of 
has like your requirements and you're like, you know, like it's like a little script that says like, do this step, do that step, run this command. Um, you know, so you have some control over it, yeah. but as far as the environment's concerned, like they're spinning up their own VMs to run it on and they have control over like what software is on that VM yeah. and uh, what permissions are there. And so, yeah, like sometimes it can be kind of frustrating, like, uh, you know, investigating that. For sure. And so we're almost like considering moving back to Jenkins <laughs> just because, you know, at least then, you know, we can go on the box and yeah. we can see what's going on and we have a little more control over it, you know? Yeah. Are there any other options besides like tra Circle CI? That's another big one too. Is that similar to Travis where they kind of control everything? Yeah. I mean, uh, we've looked at it and it, it looks pretty similar. Okay. Right. Like the, the price point I think is uh, a little... I forget if it was higher or lower than Travis, but it was very similar. Okay. Right? It was just, um, they just had like a little bit different set of tools to use for it. Um, but yeah, it didn't look uh, different enough that it was worth the effort to switch to them. Okay. Um, yeah, like, cause we, we kind of looked at a few different ones to see like, could we find something that's, you know, going to offer, uh, what moving back to Jenkins would without yeah. the headache and, you know, like, uh, I mean, they're all pretty similar. They yeah. don't give you like a, a, you know, like a, a bigger level of access or, you know, like, like more debugging information really. Oh, that's interesting. And, and when you do Jenkins, everything's in Java, right? So Jenkins some... itself is in Java, but, um, you know, like, I mean, you can build anything on it, right? Like, uh, it has plugins to do pretty much whatever you would want to do. It's definitely not as simple and easy to set up, Yeah. but, um, if you have something complicated that you want to do with it, it, you can do that one way or the other, Yeah. right? Like at worst, you know, you have like a bunch of shell scripts that, you know, do whatever you want and, you know, like the, it's basically just an automation tool at that point. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of really cool plugins that have like integrations, you know, like, um, like they support, uh, GitHub of course, you yeah. know, and you know, they support like the, the open source one. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, they support pretty much anything that you could come in there with. And, um, you know, like the, the config is, it's pretty easy to, to maintain as long as, you know, like you don't get too wild with it. Yeah. Right. Like it's really easy <laughs> to, to sit there and, you know, like make a million different changes and then like, oh, you know, like why isn't anything working, yeah. you know, and then have to, you know like go and restore a backup config or something, Yeah. right? But um, yeah, one thing that uh, we experimented with at another company, Spokio, was um, uh, they have this uh, Jenkins job builder. Okay. And it's basically this tool that uses like this YAML language to construct Jenkins jobs in like a reproducible way. Okay. So instead of having like your Jenkins config that you're, you know, backing up, that's your source of truth, yeah. you have like all these kind of flexible definitions with like templating and, um, you know, like, like, uh, different little, um, you know, like functions and stuff for like, uh, you know, uh, if you want to make like a uh, hundred different jobs that do basically all the same thing, but like with, you know, different, slightly different variables, okay. like that, you know, you can do that, you know, you have like little loops where you can just build, you know, like a bunch of different jobs that are just clones of each other that yeah. can be grouped together. Um, but yeah, like, um, the, that 
was, I mean, it had some limitations, which, you know, were kind of unfortunate. Um, but for the most part, it made uh, managing Jenkins a lot easier. Okay. Like once we understood how the language worked and how the, like the, the variable scope worked and, uh, you know, like how to get it to do what we wanted to do yeah. in Jenkins, it was, you know, way easier to, to iterate with it and to move forward and to move backwards with okay. it, right? Like you could move backwards in a super granular way. You know, you would just like have the configs in a repo. And so, you know, like as long as you're committing pretty, uh, pretty often, yeah. you can basically move back to whatever you know place you want and so you know like you don't have like this one monolithic jenkins that's just getting out of hand over time yeah. you know you have everything managed in a in a repo and the other cool thing is that you know like if you wanted to have like five different jenkins yeah. that have like different sets of jobs you could just do that okay right like you could just redefine the um the the deployment scheme a little bit so that it would generate a bunch of different configs for different jenkins servers yeah. and then just publish them all separately uh, you know, because Jenkins is one of those things that it's 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 almost impossible to scale. Yeah. It's not a cluster. It's it's mostly just one node. Okay. Right. Like you can have a bunch of different slaves, right? So you can you can scale that way with your jobs. But I mean, um, sometimes it's hard to to build jobs that you know can interact with the slaves and pull back the results you want. So. Um, you know, being able to have a bunch of separate Jenkins servers that are, you know, reproducible and iteratable in like a, you know, really like formulaic fashion was just, you know, it was really cool. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We use Jenkins here, but I mean, mm -hmm. I basically, I, I, I just push up my code and I watch it build. Like I don't actually do anything <laughs> in Jenkins. Yeah. I do the easy part, which is watching the different bars just fill up to green. Yeah. Have you guys used, um, the pipeline plugin at all? I have no idea what we use. Okay. Yeah, yeah cuz um uh, what it, what does that do? Like I don't I don't know when it came out, but we just recently started experimenting with it um because uh we wanted to have like uh these workflows, right? Instead of just having one job, we wanted to have like this job that kicks off that job that kicks off that job. We probably use that. Yeah. Okay. Because what what happens is like I I'm a front-end developer, so I'll get my code and I have my own branch, right? Yeah. A separate branch. And so when I push that to pre-release, um, basically what happens is it builds out that branch for me mm -hmm. in its own instance yeah. through Jenkins. And then I have a URL I can go to. Uh, it spins up like Kubernetes pod and I can okay. just go to that single URL. And so every single time you you grab a new ticket and create a new branch, you have a different uh, Kubernetes pod and Jenkins yeah. does the building for all that. Okay. That's really interesting. Do you have to like spin that down or does it just go away automatically? No. So we have a, like a cleanup every like three months, like it's like <laughs> super extended cleanup basically. Uh -huh. Yeah. The, Cause it would be cool. What we should do is have like a, a spin down where when that ticket gets closed, it, it there's an automatic, like a Jenkins process that yeah. goes through and spins down that pod. Yeah. yeah like a Jira integration or yeah, whatever. It's that like, would be oh, super tickets cool. Closed. All right. Environment spins it down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to get more Jira integrations. We use Jira okay. and... Yeah, a lot uh, of people use Jira. Everyone nowadays. uses fucking J Jenkins, <laughs> Jira. Like everyone yeah. uses all these things, and so uh, it would be nice to like not have to do as much manually for sure. Yeah. No, I mean that's 
that's kind of like that. I feel like that's kind of the whole DevOps philosophy. Yeah. That, you know, like you shouldn't have to do anything manually. Yeah. Right. Like your, your services and your code and your automation just work for you. You know, like uh, as much as possible, you should be doing something that's useful. Yeah. Right. And if you're having to go, you know, like fix stuff, waste time dealing with things like that doesn't, you know, like that's it's inefficiency. For and sure. It doesn't buy you anything and it's just a headache and there's not a lot of reason for it. It's just, you know, like getting there is, yep. is always the challenge. Oh, you know? yeah. That's the hardest. <laughs> and then once you're there, it's beautiful until yeah. it breaks. And then. <laughs> yeah. Or until you have to move on to the next big thing. Right. You know? <laughs> One of the two happens, right? Yeah. All right, man. Let's wrap this up. Uh, okay. Do you want to give any shout outs or anything? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, my wife, Soraya, of course, and right. my boy, George, you know, <laughs> uh, and Ty, you know, he's a really awesome guy. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy for him that, you know, like programming is now working out as like a new career choice. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. You All know, right. Like, I guess, shout out to my company, you know, for being pretty awesome. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, you always got to give the company shout out. Uh, oh, yeah. Shout out to Leaf Group for having us in, uh, in the podcast studio. And uh, this has been episode seven of the developer experience with Michael Kalinske. Uh, hope you guys have a good day or night whenever you're listening to this. And uh, I, I never say this at the end. I feel like I should like or subscribe. I don't know. I feel dirty doing that. I don't like that. <laughs> don't rate or subscribe. Just download and don't listen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you next time.